0: Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty Vest. And I'm Mark Wood. In these extraordinary times, we're coming to you from our various homes as we all shelter in place. This season on SageCast, we're talking to Pomona faculty and alumni about the personal, professional, and intellectual journeys that have brought them to where they are today. Today, we're talking with Ryan Engley, Assistant Professor of Media Studies and co-host of the Why Theory podcast. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks hey, for joining us here. Nice to be here. <laughs> in, <Okay>. in cyberspace. <laughs> that's
1: right. Well, I like it. I like well, we're sharing our space with each other. That's what's happening right that's now. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And
0: that's the important and, thing. <laughs> and it's an interesting time to be talking about media studies when we're all kind of living our lives <laughs> on our computer screens these mm-hmm. days. Um have have uh, has that given you any interesting insights you wouldn't have had otherwise? Or and how are you coping with it personally?
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh no, excellent question to start off. So, <laughs> one of my my one of my big um, uh, this is going to start. We're going to start with a deep cut, I think. So, one of my academic interests is uh, a particular. It's a particular form of American television is called the bottle episode, which is as a phrase has become a little bit more popular in uh, recent years. And um, the first known reference to to this this comes from. Uh, uh, Leslie Stevens, who was the producer of The Outer Limits, and he had to make a show, he had to make an episode of TV show for like very little money in a week, and he did it. He called it a bottle show, and so then this, how it became bottle episode, it's like kind of is a little bit unclear. There were there were these episodes of Star Trek where in the original series where they kind of ran out of money, so they just didn't leave the the deck of the ship. And, and, they do, you know, because they didn't have money to get costumes or do sets or whatever. And so uh, people started to refer to these as ship in a bottle episodes. And yeah. then Star Trek, the next generation references this in the title of an episode, which is just called Ship in a Bottle. So
0: it's sort of like sort of like a one act play then. Right. I mean, it's, kind, yeah, Mark, kind <laughs> of. Well, I mean, scene, yeah, everyone's
1: everyone's seen a bottle episode. Like, have you seen characters stuck in an elevator? You know, like like, like yeah, the, right. the the Chinese episode, uh, the, the the of uh, Seinfeld, the Chinese restaurant where they're going to, to the okay, right. Seinfeld. So, not very yeah. familiar for Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, and the um, the parking garage, mm-hmm. the same same ones. Both both of them bottle episodes, and um, so they're waiting. Yeah, right. In the, the the Chinese restaurant episode, is even like a little bit. Uh, let me see here. They they're the length of time it takes for them to wait for the table at the restaurant is the time it takes for you to watch the episode. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of unfolding in, in real time. And so what these episodes do, they are, uh, typically it, it is just the main cast in a regular location because the show ran out of money and they, so what gets privileged is conversation, uh, character revelation, uh, tension. It, it, it makes people say things that otherwise they wouldn't admit because you can't go anywhere. You can't have a guest actor. You can't have new things. So like you're you're just enclosed. And so normally this happens in like tight spaces that for some reason there's there's like a contrived reason why they can't get out. Like I said, you're stuck in an elevator. Um, Lucy and I love Lucy. She gets stuck in a meat locker two times because that because the show happened in the 50s and the, the way they made sh- uh, episodes of TV back then, they just didn't think that people would remember them. So it doesn't matter. So, so she doesn't remember that it <laughs> happened before. And <laughs> what's, a, what's a rerun? Yeah, well, yeah, right, right. That's right. It didn't happen yet. Yeah, right. So, so, Um. so I've been thinking about that actually right from the, from the beginning about how much, uh, I mean, how bottled, you know, we all are like, we're having this conversation right now in our own squares, <laughs> our own zoom squares. Uh, we're all in our own bottles. Exactly. And so here's the thing about the bottle up. So this thing means a lot to me is that they tend to be uh, unfailingly sincere Mm -hmm. because what happens in these episodes uh, is characters are forced to confront each other. They're forced to confront whatever problem that is keeping them bottled because it seems as though it's an external thing, but it's almost always an internal thing. And uh, there's not a television series. The television series that does this the best is community, the NBC series. Um, And, It's like you're not allowed out until you've said something really raw, until you've like admitted something that you wouldn't otherwise. And I think that there is a, there's, there's something about, there's something about the bottle, the bottle form being like kind of uh, closed in, in these, in these spaces as we are now that I think what we, kind of have to confront is our vulnerability in the way that we really need other people. And it's very easy to be cynical about that kind of thing because you see, like, I don't know, like, a, like, that's, that's very, I think I've seen that in like a Ford commercial, like, you know, this really proves that we need each other. So buy a truck. And it's like, then, and it's like really easy to not take that seriously anymore. But, but I, I think um, we need to, to, to take that more seriously uh, as, as a result. So that's so that for me, like in, in the world of media studies, and in my, my own work, like, that's kind of how the uh, pandemic has has affected the the way the way I see things the way the way that I I'm, the, the, that I'm looking at the world.
0: Ryan, you describe your your researches or are uh, these part of the research as the intersection of psychoanalysis and media studies? Mm-hmm. Can you unpack a little bit that for us? And which one came first? Which interest came first to
1: you? Hmm. I think it was television. Television first. At my house when I grew up, my um, so we lived in an apartment and they in apartment it was apartment building in massachusetts and it had like a fake uh had like a like a plasticky kind of um it's 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 the, I, the word the word is chandelier is what it was meant to look like it was not a chandelier <laughs> we lived in an apartment it was not there's not a lot of not a lot of money that kind of thing but uh, hanging from the chandelier we we ate dinner under it at, at mm-hmm. a, a, okay and we would have on a card my mother in her uh, handwriting which is like a font uh, she would write the TV shows that we had to we we had to watch each week mm. and we didn't have cable TV we um I uh, we had the rabbit ears, and that was how we did it. We also had a very, very old TV set that my parents <laughs> kept re- getting repaired. Like they kept getting the color tube replaced, and it was like I had to. T- it was so funny. We just wouldn't have a TV for a little bit, and I'd have to tell people like the tubes being replaced, and like what are you talking about? Because already people were buying TVs that that wasn't like that wasn't the thing. Um, fun, fun little story about this TV is that it would where it would like go out was in the like top right-hand corner. And I don't know how my sister and I found this out, but we found out if you put a magnet on that part of the TV, it would fix the color distortion enough <laughs> to, to make it, to make it watchable. Um, I don't know how we figured it out, but, uh, but we did. And uh, so, so I've always so um, from a young age, I had to really work to watch television. Um, I don't know. So that was something there, but um, there's a, there's a story. <clears throat> there's a story I like to tell. I don't think it makes me look very good, but there's a story I like to tell my students about um, about how much I, I about how much I love television. Um, I think community is like thirty percent of the reason I went to grad school. The TV show I referenced earlier, mm-hmm. uh, probably another thirty percent was the ABC series Lost, which I, I love, and I loved it so much when it was on when I was in high school. Um, uh, I was a senior, I think, yeah, this is senior. My my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were graduating. She invited me out to dinner with her and her parents to celebrate her graduating. And that wasn't exactly, like, this was kind of a big deal because it's that, like, that wasn't like our relationship at the time it was like doing some like official stuff with, with parents and things like that. Like that was like, you know, very adult. And I said, wow, I was like, I would love to. Uh, when is it? And she said, um, it's going to be, Thursday oh, no. at 8 and without <laughs> Patty I mean you already know you already know Patty <laughs> the second she she said that I was like oh I can't do that and she goes why and I was like without thinking I'm like losses on <laughs> and she and she was like <clears throat> you're going to watch TV and not come to dinner oh, with me, yeah, yeah. and I was like, "It's the season finale!" Like I just kept going, and just <laughs> in case you might have in case you might have sympathy for me, at this time we had a, a, a newer TV, and not only that, we had DVR. I could just watch <gasps> it later. But like,
0: <laughs> I, that was not going to be a question. So like, you gonna record it.
1: Exactly. Oh yeah, of course I could have recorded it. Anyway, I um uh the end of the, you may think that like in the end i went out to dinner and i made no i didn't go out to dinner uh i <laughs> oh watched no. lost and um <laughs> I mean we, and you have no regrets i have no regrets mark that's absolutely right we did break up not strictly because of that but that was uh that was pro- probably part of the reason um and uh and yeah and i watched the finale and uh and uh loved it that's a great that's a great finale um but so yeah so i i don't know i've uh the television uh television was always, television always meant a lot to me. When I got into undergraduate uh, school and I started to, to think about grad school, actually my work was on um, my, on Shakespeare at the time. And part of the reason is, was that like where I went, I went to Bridgewater state college, which is now uh, called Bridgewater state university. Um, and when I left, they'd just gotten like a film uh, minor and Media studies was not housed in uh, the humanities strictly. It was as it is here. It was more in communications, which was kind of like split between more of like a, like a quantitative and like a production kind of thing. And and then less so on like the hum, uh, humanistic kind of inquiry. So um, what's interesting that's happening in, in uh, you can just see this at how colleges are arranged. Like where the, like the, like where, where, where's the department will tell you a lot about what that institution thinks about like media studies is it communications is it humanities is it like is it production or you know is it you know more akin to uh what would be like a traditional literary study but just of like media objects so um i was uh sort of like coming of age um academically speaking during a time when like tv specifically was starting to be taken seriously um and as i le- i mean people t- took it seriously like you know jane fear is one of these uh these great uh television studies writers that i always try to bring attention to in uh, my classes and she's writing in the 80s really great stuff i think like um about ab- uh, about tv but like even like it's just it's hard to describe, but like people were embarrassed even in like two, like 2007 when or, or when I started college, they were a little embarrassed to like TV as much as they did, and that's kind of changed I think over over the last uh, 14 years or so. Um, so the love of, of television came first, and then um, when I got into graduate school, I met um, I went to the University of Vermont and I met Todd McGowan, who I uh, do the podcast uh, why theory with so he was my uh, mentor and uh, thesis advisor there and now now we're just friends so it's <laughs> and and uh he is uh, a great um writer uh and and thinker of uh psychoanalysis and film and so i brought that love of tv that i just described love so much that you know my sister and i found uh, like hackneyed ways to save an old tube, tube television, and I loved it so much that it destroyed a relationship. Uh, and I brought that to graduate school, and um, and and Todd's interest. I, I like I was just early on. I asked him. I was like, "What do people say about television psychoanalysis?" And he just said nothing. Nobody says anything. And that's that's not exactly like strictly true, but it, it's strictly true. But it's like it's it's pretty pretty bare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. And it's, it happens to me when I, when I send essays out is people like, cause I'm trying to split this difference. As you said, this, this like, this like intersection between media studies and psychoanalysis. And typically I, I, I try to look at television and if, if the, the reader who reads it is like more of a, like a traditional, like television studies person or like a narrative studies person, they're like, I don't know if psychoanalysis is necessary here. And then if the reader <laughs> is more psychoanalytic, they're like, this isn't psychoanalytic enough. <laughs> like i like and i'm like look like i like i'm not like i don't think that makes me like super special but like this isn't like, like like other people aren't doing this like i mean just like go can you go with me like a little bit so um so anyway so that's that's a, that's a bit of a bit of a trouble that i found but yeah so i'm trying i'm trying to to um especially as as it regards um uh, uh seriality and like like serial storytelling which uh is you know of course a big part of television that's where i try to make uh uh, some inroads, um, in the, in the field. And I was, uh, contacted for an interview that I was really happy with by, uh, Jess Henderson, uh, and they're at the uh, Institute for Network Cultures in Amsterdam because, uh, uh, and they contacted me as a result of the podcast and, and they were interested in my, um, in, in, in my whole approach to seriality. And so anyway, so hopefully, uh, I have a, I have a essay at a, at a, uh, journal right now so hopefully they'll be as generous as uh, as Jess was uh, about about my uh, my whole thing but uh, but yeah thank you i appreciate the question
0: so you mentioned uh, serial storytelling and and lost lost being such a wonderful example mm, <laughs> of yes that um can you talk to us a little bit more about that uh mm-hmm. the you know the importance of it uh in culture and society
1: definitely mark yeah it's Well, so this is, this is where there's an interesting little, little thread here there. Um, in, so, uh, in 1895, um, Freud writes, uh, well, co-writes, uh, like the big, the first big book, um, on psychoanalysis is called studies on hysteria. And, um, in it, there's this reference that I was, when I was in, uh, uh, writing my PhD at university of rhode island i was just like shocked to find this because i because i i knew i wanted to to write i wanted to work with uh serial storytelling and i wanted to work with psychoanalysis and the pressure that i that my committee at the time put, put on me was that like are you just making this connection or is there something there like like am i making something happen or is there is this actually like a legitimate reason to, to 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 bring these two things to to bear on each other and i thought that's a good question. You know how I knew it was a good question? Because I didn't want to answer it. That's how I knew it was a good question. If <laughs> I thought it was good. That's, to also,
0: that's always how we know their question is really good, right? Yeah, I mean, right. You I don't really like, want to answer it. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. You son of a, you
1: called me out. I can't believe it. <laughs> anyway, um, and so the thing... That I was like looking, I was like, okay, does he mention anything? Because like, okay, so um, there's kind of a funny thing with um, with Freud. If, if people who people who don't like Freud consider him a Victorian, and people who do, they consider him a modernist. So that's because he sort of splits the periods. But it, interestingly enough, serial storytelling is um, basically invented in 1836 in England and in France, same year. Um, well, in England uh, Dickens is the kind of the pioneer and then in France it's uh, Honoré de Balzac he's and he publishes The Old Maid uh and uh, Dickens publishes The Pickwick Papers and and it's the first time things had been released in installments before like previously um but it was the first time that people were writing something as it was coming out and that's that, that's like a pretty for a lot of people who do like studies in narrative seriality that's a pretty key feature and that's like lost like they they would write and produce a number of episodes uh and the episodes would be in the can but then they'd be writing live like as things like were coming out and they were seeing like what are, what's the audience adjusting to what's happening and this really it goes all the way back to 1836 dickens is is writing pickwick papers it's like selling okay and then he introduces this cockney character called sam weller and people love it and he's like I'll write more about that guy, I guess. And, <laughs> and that wasn't necessarily the plan. Um, so also if anyone has ever, if anyone listening to this has ever heard that Dickens was paid by the word, that is an anti-intellectual, uh, <laughs> uh myth. He was paid by the installment. Um, and his, his things were, mm. uh, published in like, like 20 installments. It was a mm. lot a, pretty close to to TV, which has like uh, traditional tv which had between like 20 and 25 episodes mm-hmm. uh or i don't know 26 or 27 like there's some random seasons of cheers that have like 27 episodes and things like that but um but yeah so 20, 20 installments he reckoned was like that's 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 how that's how you do it so um so freud comes of age uh, kind of at the like as serial storytelling become is is like more normal uh, uh and and uh, you know other people than Dickens, like George Eliot, of course, um, and Thackeray, like people like this are writing. And so I thought maybe there was something that he would have written about it. And in Studies on Hysteria, he has this like really fascinating uh, note, and he's talking about the practice of analysis, and he just gets into this thing about how there's something practically inconvenient about it, and the problem is that uh, it this thing just keeps keeps to keeps happening where. At the end of the session is when the, and in psychoanalysis you say analyzed, but that's like an awkward word to even say. So I'm gonna say patient. So the patient, excuse me, or maybe client is now, that's like probably the more contemporary phrasing. The client starts saying something that they're just about to get into something. And then it's just like, it's time for them to go. And <laughs> time's, up. time's up. And he's <laughs> like, sorry, we can pick up from here. And what Freud says is the, the issue that was raised, I think I'm quoting this pretty close, but this is a pretty good paraphrase. I think I'm, um, so I mean, I'm awake enough this morning to be able to do this, this, this paraphrase he says the issue that was raised, but not dealt with lingers in the patient's mind more than it otherwise would have been. So because there was no resolution, mm. it, even if it's just mm-hmm. this anodyne thing, this end, this little, this, just because there was this ending they're not able to make uh, any any headway on it, and so like it persists until the next meeting. And then he says this: "It's like, uh, it's like when you're uh, uh, every the he says something like this: It's the same experience like every newspaper reader experience as at the end of reading their favorite serial, their story, their favorite story in the serial, where a shot has rung out or the heroine has made a decisive speech, and then you come upon the words." to be continued he continued yes and i'm like <laughs> oh my god i'm like yeah, i'm would. like like it was, and so it's just it's fun to like find these like these moments from people who and like freud's one of these people who's more read about than read but like uh i think in especially in 2021 and uh more there's like a lot of uh more assumptions about what like things things that he said or, or practices he observed and like things that that he actually did and and so it's interesting to find something like this that makes him feel very proximate to, uh, to, to to the present moment. And so um, I th- was just thinking about that. Like, yes, the to be continued, to be continued produces a kind of like uh, emotional uh, and I, I think Freud would probably, uh, the point he's trying to make is like a psychical tension. And it reminded me, there's this uh, Seinfeld bit before an episode of Seinfeld where he says that he hates to be continued. He says he hates him because he's yeah. watching he's watching a show He's into it. And then suddenly you're aware of the clock and you're like, Oh no, they've only got five minutes. They can't wrap <laughs> yes. this up in five minutes. And then they don't, they can't and it's to be continued. And you know what? So my, um, I can't remember when my mother reminded me about this, but I think I was telling her about what I like these breakthroughs I was making in, in my, um, in, 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 in my dissertation writing. And she told me, she said, you said that I was like, what? When you were a kid. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about mom. like When we would be watching a show and it wouldn't finish, you would go, oh, it's a continue. That's what I would say. I hated to be continues. I had that like, as a child, I had this really, so um, I probably, so I, that, that was really, that makes sense as like a full circle thing, but it also, um, it was a little, uh, it was a little bit cutting. And 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 uh, took me down a peg or two to realize that uh, all I'm doing is trying to work out a feeling I had when I was five. <laughs> so I've kind of made no progress as a person. <laughs> I'm 33 now, and I have degrees in it anyway. But yeah,
0: but it really say. has to do with expectation, doesn't it? I mean, it, we hate it when we didn't expect it, but but we watch these things knowing they're going to be continued in a lot of cases, and yeah, and we love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Mark, I mean, there's. It's um, I think that what what I what I like about what I like now about the to be continued and and about that, um, that uh, that frustration is that it is a way of giving back to you exactly how emotionally and personally invested you are in the thing. And I think that there's a thing that happens where uh, we kind of think that's stupid. Oh, it's not real. They're (laughs) actors why do I care about what they do now? I'm upset because I didn't see what these <laughs> actors are going to do in a thing. It's stupid. WandaVision should just finish. You know, like there's the things that happen like all the time, like even like now. Right. Um, But I, I think that there is um for me, there's a there's a corollary, I think. So one of the things like a primary um. A primary uh, gambit of psychoanalysis is that there's a, um, a gap in the psyche and then like, you can see it in like f- very famously slips of the tongue, but that, that, that became very famous. But Freud also says, and I think these are way more interesting, um, when you misread something, when you mishear something. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, my favorite example of this is like, if you mishear a song lyric and then you sing what you misheard back to yourself forever until <laughs> someone's like, that's not the line. And you're like, what? And so there's something about like your, like your psyche got wrapped up in something or you didn't even notice it. And then you took it out and then you sang it to yourself forever and you think you're enjoying the song, but in a way you're actually enjoying yourself. And the, this, so there's this gap in the psyche and, and, and it's primary. And if you are, and I think we, uh, there's so much of psychoanalysis that is just like, commonplace now that it sometimes can seem like it doesn't have anything to say in 2021. uh, But like one of the, again, a basic gambit is do you think people always do things for the reasons they think they do them? If you do not think that, then you are, you're kind of going to start processing things along the same circuit that Freud started to do. And, you know, like, do you, do you desire things for the reasons you think you desire them? Like, you know, like, does that always, you know, uh, and uh, buyer's remorse very psychoanalytic uh, experience, I think, is that you thought the, the new iPhone was going to solve a problem for you. But you know what, it's just another crappy thing that you own after you get it. And it's not going to solve any issues. So um, there's a gap. And so there's this sort of like primary gap, okay, in in psychical construction in psychic life and the way that we go, go through every day. And then there's this gap. In the serial form and i just think that when you get the to be continued it makes that resonance very very clear like it, it's it's bringing out this like uh it you know I, this is a, a a phrase that i say so much that a student i i'm not going to show it to you because it it'll get um well for one this is going out on audio and not on video but like i say this, this thing i'm about to say i say it so much that a student made it on like a card for me <laughs> um but there's a there's It exposes a hole, W uh, so uh, H O L E, in the hole, W H O L E. Okay, so that's that's what that's so. When you watch something that has it to be continued, you think you're watching a hole, W H O L E, and then it's a hole, H O L E, (laughs) and that's like a huge problem. And I think that's the same experience that that's just like a very like primary. And, uh, and, and and kind of intimate psychic experiences that like, again, we go through the day and we think we're holes, W-H-O-L-E, but there are all these holes all over the place. Things that we say, things that we, things that we misread, things that like, um, like the number of emails that I have misread to think they were way worse than they actually were, it happened all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, someone's really mad at me. And I put it down, I come back 20 minutes and then it's like, I like made words appear. That just weren't there, and I'm like, oh, this is fine now. And I, I just think that happens to everybody. Uh, So, so yeah. So, and I think that the, the, I think that um, the, the cliffhanger, the to be continued, uh, the cancelled show, the like these, these kinds of uh, things, they, the the narratively, they produce a kind of psychic trauma. And I think that there's a, there's a tie there that 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 I'm working to investigate. For you know, in my childhood,
0: I, 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 which was a very, very long time ago. Um, the i was too late for the for the old movie serials but i got to watch some of them you know as they as they began to come back and mm. i always found i was always concerned by the cheat
1: <laughs> okay
0: you know the 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 door is coming down and, and of course things like raiders of lost ark played mm-hmm. with that you know the door is coming down and it's three inches from the bottom and we cut <laughs> away we come back the next day and the door is two feet from the bottom and you can roll under it,
1: you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, that's kind of a funny, that's a, that's a hole as well. That's a, that's yeah. an inconsistency that, um that, that I think, because you know what, and, and this I think happens a lot with, um with serial st- storytelling, especially is uh like you take it very, very seriously and, and you're maybe on un- one is unaware of how seriously they take it until they're like, No, that was a rule. You broke a rule. (laughs) I saw that and it was a rule and then you changed it. And it's like, you know, uh, the the, Matt Groening has a nice phrase about the Simpsons uh, that it's an elastic reality um, because you can watch um, you can watch episodes of the Simpsons and they have like they don't even have enough money for dinner that night. And then, are you, like uh, like ten episodes later, they're like going on like a family trip somewhere, and like it doesn't matter. So like their wealth is just like <laughs> yeah. it's you know it's way way uh-huh. whatever. What is what is the what is the um, what does the drama need, right? It's it's um which is a which is a principle that to to, to tie my undergraduate. Uh, uh, learning back into this. this is a principle that goes back to Shakespeare. Shakespeare didn't care. You know, sometimes when, when historical things get adapted into films and people are like, that's not how it happened. I can't believe they would do blah, blah, blah. Um, none of history happened the way that it does in the Shakespeare history. And it's not because he was stupid. It's because he knew that how it happened wasn't dramatic enough. It was, there was no tension. So what is, what does it need for what, 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 what is, uh, what do I need in Richard II? To uh, to to make there be drama. Well, I need Henry Bolingbroke to have qualms about seizing the crown, so he has to be, he has to not take it exactly. You know what happened in history? Henry Bolingbroke showed up at the the castle with Thomas Arundel, the deposed. Archbishop of Canterbury and an army at his back. And he just freaking, he just took the crown. Like he didn't care about it. But in the play, he can't because Henry in the play knows that his soul will be damned because the worst thing you can do in that time in England, the worst sin you could commit is regicide. Because that means not that you killed a king. It means you know better than God because kings were determined by divine right. And that's way more interesting than, no, a guy just came up and he took the crown. <laughs> so it's, anyway, um, yeah, so so the elast, elastic reality, like rules being better for drama, like, like so I think that um, sometimes we butt up against them uh, and it produces a different kind of tensions, but all the while it shows us how like invested we are in those worlds. And we want to see them proceed according to like some kind of logic, even if sometimes it, it bends bends its own rules
0: ryan we've been talking about this uh, notion of seriality and how it forms um culture and um and mostly we've been talking about tv but you're also that that's part of it what the book project you're working Mm -hmm. on and but that also includes podcasts and binge watching television and social media can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah yeah definitely i think um yeah binging i think i find pretty fascinating um Because it's so TV has always had this like moral panic attended to it. Um, You know, uh, what was it The like when I was a kid, you know, TV, it'll rot your brain. Trash TV, garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And and then after The Sopranos, basically like TV is this like prestige narrative drama starting in 1999 it like starts this trajectory that like and then there's like peak tv around the time of lost and mad men and breaking bad and all these shows mm-hmm. that feature uh uh white male anti heroes, and it's like ah oh, no this is the this is the this is the wine drinkers medium uh <laughs> even uh, chris marker a very famous french film director he 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 said this too that that he thought that um uh he said movies hold nothing for him anymore he 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 needs he needs the the hbo drama um and <laughs> uh so binging and streaming appear um around 2013 um as a dominant way of uh, two things so it it becomes a way of uh watching a text and then with netflix um it becomes a way of producing a text and the man there are like sleep studies about binging and it's like uh that this people are you know it's also part of this thing too that like you know you shouldn't sit down sitting down is really bad you got to stand up and and you can like and then like binging comes into this thing and like people are just sedentary they're not eating well and it's like okay so there's this moral panic around it um and i so that i find interesting (laughs) um uh and i I, it's also a little convenient that at a time when like tv is like more or less culturally like legitimated there has to be something that's like that's like TV, but not TV. And we have to be kind of concerned about it. And also in television studies, like um, Netflix uh, uh, shows aren't, because of their construction, they're not taken quite, I don't want I don't necessarily want to say taken quite as seriously, but just like, it's like, well, it's not, it's not seriality. This is what uh, some people have concluded. Well, there's no gap in between episodes. And, um, and- There's
0: 15 seconds. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah that's right well so okay patty patty this is my thesis on 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 binging is actually what netflix does try to do and what the binge serial tries to do is it tries to eliminate the gap but you know what it makes it more present that's what i that's what I, that's what i think like in in the attempt to eliminate it like i'm if i was like i i still have because i Came because I came of Asian when in like in becoming a connoisseur of TV myself when I was buying DVDs and uh, and and like you know hit play all on the DVD and I I gotta say I'm never more aware of the gap between episode than on Netflix when they ask me if I want to skip it. And so, if you're still there. Yeah, exactly. Are you still there? And and yeah, the this like judgment. Of course I am. I know it's been since <laughs> seven in the morning because I didn't go to bed and now it's seven at night, but whatever, you know, like um I I I think that what what they try to do is make it seem as though it's a smooth, as I said earlier, W H O L E uh experience but it makes the 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 holes uh a, a lot more apparent to uh to my mind and like when i'm watching when i'm watching a a a a, Netf- a netflix show or i'm binging something like you know i don't like it is true like like i'll i'll put a put put a put a tick in the in the moral panic the moral panickers uh, uh or put a feather in their hat i don't eat quite as well i was like mm, maybe i don't need to make dinner it's so much I just need to finish this this thing, you know? Um, maybe I don't, maybe I don't need to get up to pee the second I feel like I have to do it. Maybe I can wait, I can wait until something happens. I'll wait until the end and then I can pause it and then I'll go do it, you know, just like things like that. And um, then there are things like um, my um, research talk that I gave here when I was um, uh, interviewing for the job. I talked about Stranger Things and in Stranger Things season two, Netflix manages to do this thing that I think is pretty incredible is um, they managed to produce an episode of a show that is universally reviled. <laughs> it's called, it's called the lost sister is episode. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Patty, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? <laughs> I should have just asked you, what's the worst episode of stranger things you would have just told me. And the reason why is that, okay. The, the season, uh, season two of, of stranger things is like, it does this thing where, uh, between i think it's episode um uh four maybe it's it's either three and four or four and five and it's uh will is being encouraged by uh sean astin to confront the the demon because he's having like a metaphorical conversation about like what happens when something tries to uh like just, someone tries to bully you it's like well you got to stand up to the bully and so will tries to confront the um i forget what they call the the demo I forget what it was the big that whatever the big bad was that season Will tries to confront it and um, rather than taking orders from a child this thing decides to inhabit Will's body and that becomes and he's screaming at it and it's like going like into him and then cut end of the episode next episode picks up exactly there and so aired on regular TV Mark Patty that's it to be continued right yeah but on Netflix it's not because you just keep watching. So yeah. so like that's that's what, so you think okay, cliffhanger done, erased. At the now at the end of this episode called The Spy, Will who has been taken over by this like other dimensional uh evil has uh directed like military troops to this uh spot where they're about to be like attacked by this again this otherworldly evil and that's it's just this incredible uh propitious moment. Like there's so much tension. Cut end of the episode, and because you've been wanting, you've been binging the whole thing. You probably think, oh, this will be like at the end of Will the Wise and the beginning of the next episode. We're gonna get we're gonna get the uh, resolution to that tension. No, you get an entire episode about Eleven doing unrelated, <laughs> sometimes uninteresting <laughs> things, and it's remarkable because you know what it is it's a, that episode is a gap that is full of content. And that's the, that's, so it's, it's, it's an episode. It's complete it's, it's, it's totally, there's totally stuff there, but it's, uh it's not, it's like, it's not, it's not anything anyone wanted (laughs) to see at that moment. And it's, 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 I, I just, I'd never seen this before where an episode itself could be the cliffhanger. And And that, uh, and, and you just you can see this now. If you go on IMDB and you look at the reviews, it's so funny because there's not there's not a stranger things episode that has like a user review lower than like an 8.4 and the lost sister is like in the sixes and there's just all these hateful <laughs> <laughs> reviews about like, I don't know what this is. They just did it. Cause they wanted it to look like X-Men. They're probably going to do a spinoff and it's going to be terrible. And it's like, all this stuff is just made up. Uh, <laughs> and it's really, really funny. So I, so I think, um, so I think that Netflix is doing. Um, I think Netflix is doing interesting things uh, in 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 making uh, like like they're changing the coordinates to, to like uh, to even traditional and old uh, serial storytelling uh, commonplaces like uh, like the cliffhanger, like the to be continued, and that that I find really interesting.
0: I, and we can keep talking about this for a long time. i I, I'm, I I've got all kinds of questions and ideas I'd like to explore. But I want, I want to make sure before we finish that sure. we, we plug your your podcast. Oh, sure. Um, Why theory? Um, tell us about how that came about, and and what do you try to do with it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Mark. Uh, a very generous question. Uh, so, um, so as I said, yeah, Todd um, is like. He, he publishes like, he's like a cyborg. Like he's like, he would like, there was something like there was like a Terminator thing in the future and they sent it back and they're like, listen, you got to go back and you got to stop. I don't know some historical event, but they got the thing wrong and it just, it became a professor and all it had to do was write. He publishes like two <laughs> books a year articles. It's, it's insane. But he, but anyway, so he, um so he, he pub- writes and publishes a lot. um He's for, um, uh, I, I've, I've, i called, I've said to him before privately, I've said like, you know, you're like the people's theorist. And he said, like, I think that just means I don't write very well. That's what he thinks that he, that he thinks he's too easy to be understood. And that's why, and which, um, is sometimes taken to be a bad thing, uh, mm-hmm. in, in academia, but I think is a very good thing. So, so starting from that, sure. Uh, yeah, For so he, sure, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think a lot of, um, a lot of i think um yeah i mean this is just something we try to do on the podcast we try to make very like seemingly arcane and just impenetrable texts like very approachable um we have a we have a, a series on hegel's phenomenology of spirit and and uh, and we have a, like a like we're doing like a series on uh like uh, things like, uh, uh, things, uh, Jacques Lacan, uh, French psychoanalyst, uh, in the fifties uh, and sixties, things that he said, and we're doing like a series on Freud's papers and things. And the thing that we, um, what we try to, to actually, to make clear sometimes is that sometimes, sometimes these people don't know what they're saying and, and not, not as, as in like they're they said things earlier that conflict. And that there's like, there's a, there's a kind of a, there's a theory that is, um, there's a theory that is consistent that, uh, a begs our sort of like fidelity and attention to it and even the people who proffer that theory they're sometimes not equal to it and they they sometimes they sometimes fail to live up to their own um ideas and 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 things and like we don't hold up these people as people as like like that need to be followed it's just the ideas that we think are really interesting and worth working toward i'll give a little example from uh one might not think that there's much uh use for Hegel in 2021 but uh, in phenomenology of spirit which is a book about like effectively how do we how do we get to truth okay how 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 do we see uh, truth emerge and uh his answer is we have to push it through a dialectical process which for uh for a long time people understood as like basically Hegel saying truth lies somewhere in the middle. He even specifically says he's not, he doesn't mean like, he doesn't mean that it's not that there is a kernel of truth and falseness or like a kernel of falseness and truth that these ideas need to be kind of smashed up against each other until we get to like a, like an intractable hard kernel of contradiction that we can't move beyond. And that is like our way uh, toward truth. And so he, the way he writes this book is it's kind of on a trajectory toward from like different, kinds of knowledge and he begins with the knowledge that he thinks feels most true, but is most wrong. And he, and for him, it's sense certainty and sense certainty that all that, all that you know is that which you can come in like direct contact with. Uh That's flat earth. That's what, that's what flat earthers. <laughs> their whole thing is sense certainty. I've never seen, I've never observed the earth is round. We can't trust what NASA says because they're trying to fool us. Have you seen that the Earth is round? No, I, you're right, caught me. I haven't been in space and seen it, but um, I know that there are things that I don't know, and I know how to put uh, trust in scientific knowledge. And if you just kind of cut that out of a thing, then of course you don't know anything and then this is this is of course what people try to do with 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 flat earthers is they try to catch them in like they try to catch them in like hypocrisy like they have a global conference Okay. It's very funny, <laughs> but, but it's like, that's not, that's not, that's like, it's, it's playing. It's it playing, be a
0: runway conference.
1: Yes, exactly. It should be. Yeah. Right. There should, it should be, I mean, I, I don't know, like a sheet cake. Of con, I don't know. It should be something more squared. I don't know what it, there should be something more consistent like that. Right. But that's what people try to do. And, but it's, it's really a kind of um, what, is at the core of it is a refusal of knowledge outside the self. And the thing, this is what Hegel says, is that whenever someone tries to make the claim that all you can know is what you've experienced or whatever, is that you'll just end up, you inevitably end up having to rely on things that are outside of your experience to kind of make that point. And even just at a a basic level, you're saying words to another person And you have this expectation that they are going to mean to them what they mean to you and you don't know that but you do there's there's like this shared thing it's a it's a it's a refusal to believe that which is out uh the self-played to an almost um psychotic dimension and the i so this semester i'm teaching a theory course and we started with um with hegel and 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 i went through this the the preface of the phenomenology which is very hard to read um, but it's very important, and it has little little nuggets like that, little little things like like we we don't. Um, I see this in different places where people say like we're now like post enlightenment, we're like post truth, and I think it's really funny is that even when it seems as though uh, society is regressing, we still have to be post something like we still have to be moving forward at the same time and i think if we're if we're refusing the enlightenment that just makes us pre-enlightenment It doesn't make us post-enlightenment right like that's just, i don't but but i i kind of like the thing that we still have to be moving forward at the same time but um but so yeah so this is what we try to do on the show is we try to show how like how relevant like a lot of these ideas are and and how useful they can be to like understand that which like undergirds a lot of contemporary phenomena that may seem to be uh, disparate or have its own, like flat earth, anti-vaccination, like, uh, QAnon, like all those kinds of things. Like they, they are, they are connected by this, like this radical refusal. It's, it's really funny, a radical acceptance of a specific kind of truth and a radical refusal of all others. And it's, um, the sense certainty thing I just think is so, uh, <clears throat> pervasive and and interesting because like, I'm sure flat earthers use the GPS on their phone, like all the time. Like <laughs> if, they, sure. if someone tells them they have to go. And how are you getting yeah. that? Well, it's global positioning, but not, but, but that, so that's again, relying on global thing, but it's, it's relying on a device, something else to tell you about knowledge that you don't already have. And we just do, just do it all the time. Like that's just it's a, it's a natural way to move through things, and this is why Hegel puts it at the beginning because it feels most true. Like when you stub your toe, you know you did it. That's sense certainty, but that can't be a model for all knowledge. Like you, you, you there, you, there has to be a process by which you can vet and bring into your own interpretive matrix that which you have not experienced. You know, like uh, and 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 that is uh, very important. And how it started was answered the question the wrong, the other way around. How it started was that Todd was asked to be on a lot of podcasts and he asked me, cause he knew um, in another life when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a sound engineer. Um, and, uh, and then, but just, you know, things didn't go, things didn't end up going that way. so he knew that about me and he also knew I was involved in like some podcasts with friends of mine, none of which are on the internet anymore. And he just said, you know, people keep telling me I should do a podcast. Like, do you want to do one? He just asked me and I said, okay. And I didn't know. I was like, on what? It was like, you know, on just the stuff that we talk about, like psychoanalysis, continental philosophy. I was like, I don't think anyone would want to listen to that. (laughs) And then, and he said, well, it might help you when you're applying for jobs to say that, you do the digital humanities, because people don't always know what that means. And you can tell them it means this thing that you do. And I was like, a shrewd. That's a shrewd mood. Um
0: Is that <laughs> yeah, meme?
1: Exactly. It's that meme. It's the meme. Yeah. With the finger to the forehead. Exactly. If you don't know it, you can just say it, right. It's just a signifier without a signified. Um, and then his only requirement, he said, that has to be funny. Like, is there any way we can make it funny? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, we're not really talking about a lot of funny stuff, but maybe it can be funny. Maybe our back and forth can be funny at times. And um, we have about, I, I, we consistently have, I think like, we have like 5,000 listeners. It's hard to tell because different websites calculate listens differently, Mm -hmm. but um, we like, we like our most listened to episode is like, like it's been listened to like 20,000 times It's crazy. And, um, and uh, regularly, they're around like five, five and six, uh, and uh, it's um, it's just been really great. I and and the whole goal, as as I said, was just try try to make these things that seem impenetrable and impossible to understand like really accessible. And the zenith so far of this whole endeavor is I got an email from a vegetable farmer in Australia who said that he's coming to uh, continental philosophy, like for the first time through our podcast. And he just had some questions for me and I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> I am like, so, yeah. yeah. I was so like, I, man, I was so happy to, to get that. Like, like I fe- felt a, a real, a real validation. And so, and I had like grad students and undergrads, like that students, they like, contact me as well. And, and ask, and, and I, 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 I don't always get to respond to everybody because I, um, I, things just happen and then it gets like buried in the inbox it's just but um but it's been really really um successful so far and uh we do like no so it's nice that you uh, you asked uh, uh you said to do some press about it because we don't do any I don't, <laughs> I, I don't there's not a there's not there's not a there's not an instagram there's not a facebook page there's not a twitter we don't i have a twitter I think, Patty, I think I told you about this. I can't remember. I have a Twitter. It's at Ryan Engley. And the only purpose of it is so that I don't use it. And
0: <laughs> well, now our, our huge, huge audience is going to know about it. So, <laughs> well,
1: no, but I'm not going to use you it. Mark, you. <laughs> Mark you don't, Mark, you don't understand. Cause the thing is, Mark, cause the thing is, there's another guy named Ryan Engley and he seems very nice, but he, uh, at one point in the past, Wanted to switch handles with me because I was getting tweeted at from people thinking I was like, I was him. And I made the remark that like, all I do on Twitter is clarify that I'm not this other guy. And he said, maybe we could switch. And since that day, uh, 10 years ago, I have not used Twitter. So now to me, I think it was 10 years ago. Maybe, maybe it wasn't that, that long. Now to me, it's just funnier. I, he probably doesn't even think about it, but it's just funnier to me to think that like, he's just seeing that Twitter handle not being used. Like, why can't I have it? So to me, not, <laughs> not using Twitter, I get so much more enjoyment out of it than, than, than using it. So it's uh, so, yeah, so that that's, yeah. so yeah. So we don't do any kind of publication for it at all, but it's, it's really grown by word of mouth and, and that's been, uh, that has been really fun it's been great. And um, cool. it's also in, in the, um, in the uh, pandemic uh, particularly we've been using it as a uh, like a specific teaching tool for our classes like if todd or i are about to work through something in class that we think is like um like hey this is difficult or like the students are having like uh like uh, trouble with this like do you want to talk it out on the podcast and we just do it we just make an episode for everybody um Mm -hmm. and uh and we don't mention that on the show. So that's a little that's a little like behind the scenes thing uh, behind the curtain, man behind the curtain kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been I don't know it's been it's been really great. And um, I it's one of the favorite things that I do, uh, like we do it twice a week, or twice a week. That's funny. That's a funny slip. It feels like we, that mean, that means so if I had to analyze myself, which means I would be, if I had to analyze myself, which means it, it would be wrong. Cause that's, a, that's, if you agree to something, it means it has to be something completely else. But that means that I think it's, it's, I do it like all the time. <laughs> and it's, and it's way more work. <laughs> <laughs> it's twice a month, not twice yes. a week. I like twice. the live analysis. Yeah. Yes. Well. <laughs> yeah. I mean that maybe that maybe you know what Patty Mark maybe we can do that and we can we could do we can we can change format on the Sage podcast and just do live analysis. We'll inter- interview people and then I'll wait until they slip and I'll and, and then, then yeah it. then you can step in and and, and and yeah and analyze them to death. Just pause yeah. them. Yeah. Right, say, good idea. Let me
0: let me tell you. Now hold on a well, second. Just a moment. <laughs> yeah. now, let me. To, let me tell you what he really just said <laughs> yes yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> That's it. So ryan where uh can our listeners find your podcast
1: yeah so it can be found on uh, apple podcasts um just by typing in Y theory as a statement not a not a question uh w-h-y uh space theory it it all spelled the way that it sounds nothing weird about it and also on uh, uh, soundcloud.com i think it's just soundcloud slash uh, y theory and um sometimes sometimes like people post comments and sometimes we answer them there. um very and free most most of the time they're they're uh, they're very very nice there was one time we did a podcast on conspiracy theories and there was one Uh, kind of unhinged comment (laughs) but it's mostly that's kind of an
0: invitation isn't it it? you know
1: (laughs) mark it really is my fault you're right (laughs) i wanted to do the thing i i i invited that to be part of the text it's uh it is yeah very well and truly well spotted uh but yeah that's where um i think it's also on i mean we're not the only i think we're not on Spotify because it's kind of has seemed like a bit of a hassle. And um, but that's but yeah, so Apple Podcasts and for um, for Apple devices. And then if you're on an Android device and you're interested, uh, the SoundCloud will, uh, will will do you just fine.
0: All right. On that note, we're going to have to wrap this up. I, this has been fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. This really has been fun. So um, we've been talking with Pomona College Media Studies professor Ryan Ingley. Um, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks so
0: much, Patty. And to all who stuck with us this far, thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. Stay safe. And until next time.